America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day to mark one month of war. War in Europe at the very heart of Eastern Europe, at least, in Ukraine. And it is a war that has claimed far more Russian troops than Vladimir Putin or anyone else expected. NATO, where the president is meeting with uh, NATO leaders even as we speak, actually he spent the morning with NATO leaders, he's now moving on to speak to the European Union, which has a lot of overlap, but not entirely. In any event, marking one month of war, a NATO report that the Russians have lost between 7,000 and 15,000 killed in action if you count the other people who are severely injured and uh, the people who have been captured are prisoners of war who have just surrendered and apparently with low morale among the Russian troops that's a lot of people we're talking about perhaps as many as 25,000 Russian troops at least 10 percent of the troops initially committed to this endeavor including five generals, people of general rank, generals, admirals, a Navy captain was actually killed while bombarding with his ship uh, the city of Mariupol, what's left of it. The entire thing is brutal beyond imagining and must be depressing, uh, as people might say, for Vladimir Putin and his inner circle. There is a reporting today, which we will cover, uh, NATO estimates, the most recent NATO estimates this morning, up to 40,000 Russian soldiers killed, wounded, captured, or missing in action in Ukraine. Uh, the, the entire thing is so far beyond what anyone had expected. And now there are real calls for the United States specifically to commit itself not just to more war, not just to preventing Russia from winning, but to actually visualizing a Ukrainian victory. There's one U.S. senator who's speaking up very strongly for that. We will get to that. We will also be talking about the problem of homelessness and the ridiculous claims that are made by people who think that the only way to deal with it is more and more and more and more money Sty uh, siphoned through the government that is supposed to benefit people who are living on the streets and on our parks, in their cars, all around the city of Seattle and western cities in general. Why is that? Why would Seattle, which is not known for its balmy weather, although we're certainly not as tough as Chicago or Detroit or Cleveland when it comes to winter times, why is Seattle so much more overrun with so-called homeless people, people experiencing homelessness, than other cities? We'll talk about that and more with the uh, new head of the Washington Policy Council and about the opportunities for uh, potential reform. We'll also be speaking with Alan Dershowitz, who knows both uh, Ted Cruz and... A judge, soon to be Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson, knows them as former students of his at Harvard Law School. What did he think about the encounter yesterday? 
very testy encounter between these two former students of his. We will get to that uh, with Alan Dershowitz coming up later on this edition of the Michael Medved Show. First up, because I agree with it so firmly, and I'm so glad that his voice is there, this shows you that elections really have consequences. And electing not just Republicans, but the right Republicans, makes all the difference in the world. And uh, there's also a uh, piece in the Wall Street Journal about the danger of putting up the wrong Republicans and how that could harm the Republican cause, the conservative cause in this upcoming election. In any event, Ben Sass of Nebraska, who has just been elected to his second term in the United States Senate, he, uh, he issued this message to President Biden. Losing slowly, says Senator Sass, isn't winning. Winning is winning. And Zelensky needs to win by throwing Russian invaders back out of Ukraine. President Biden should use the upcoming NATO summit to outline a plan to help Zelensky win with American and NATO weapons, intelligence, and humanitarian aid. The Biden administration knows that Ukrainians are willing and able to take ground back. And the Russian people are starting to learn that their sons are dying by the thousands for Putin's futile, egotistical, illegal war. It is time for the administration to stop self-deterring and outline a strategy to help get Ukraine what they need to win. Our goal should be simple. Zelensky wins and Putin loses. That, of course, echoing Ronald Reagan when he was asked about his goal in the Cold War. We win, they lose. That's what's necessary here. Uh, Joe Biden spoke today to uh, NATO, and he's in Brussels, Belgium, with high-level meetings with our allies, who have been surprisingly strong on this. And uh, what Joe Biden did in his speech this morning was he acknowledged that uh, strength and uh, said this about the future. Uh, listen, this is 23A. At that time, my overwhelming objective is wanting that summit was to have absolute unity on three key important issues among our NATO and European allies. First was <clears throat> to support Ukraine with military and humanitarian assistance. Second was to impose the most significant, the most significant sanctions, economic sanction regime ever, in order to cripple Putin's economy and punish him for his actions. Third was to fortify the eastern flank of our NATO allies, who were obviously very, very concerned and somewhat at worried of what would happen. We accomplished all three of these, and today we're determined to sustain those efforts and to build on them. Okay, that's uh, uh, terrific. What is missing, frankly, is talk about victory in this uh, conflict. He uh, does say this about what is coming up. Uh, President Biden, in his speech to NATO this morning, B. The United States is committed to provide over $2 billion in military equipment to Ukraine since I became president. Anti-air systems, anti-armor systems, ammunition, and our weapons are flowing into Ukraine as I speak. And today, I'm announcing the United States is prepared to commit 
more than $1 billion in humanitarian assistance to help get relief to millions of Ukrainians affected by the war in Ukraine. Many Ukrainian refugees will, uh, will wish to stay in Europe, closer to their homes. But we also will welcome 100,000 Ukrainians to the United States with a focus on reuniting families. And we will invest $320 million to bolster democratic resilience and defend human rights in Ukraine and neighboring countries. Okay, the question of when you hear all of this, you start seeing dollar signs. And where is all this money going to come from? There is an unspoken answer to that. The unspoken answer to that is that President Biden, I think with a very full plate handling the number one crisis in the world right now, which is the struggle to maintain Ukraine's independence and sovereignty. That is a, a, an existential trouble, a challenge for the Western alliance. And yes, that's very important. And I think it's uh, what President Biden seems to have acknowledged tacitly without saying anything to anybody about it is, okay, we're not going to be concentrating anytime soon on Build Back Better. The uh, Biden uh, budget-busting Build Back Better bill, all those Bs, uh, that's going into hibernation. Hibernation, just as spring is coming on, we're now officially in spring. Well, okay, it's a little bit different. It's a strange beast, that bill. Uh, we will talk to more signs and indications of just how disastrous this war is for Russia. Coming up on The Medved Show. Michael Medved show, uh, CNN is reporting the bodies of Russian soldiers are piling up in Ukraine as Kremlin struggles to conceal the true toll of war. The first warm sunny days of spring in the southern Mykolaiv region of Ukraine are ushering in a grim new reality, the smell of the dead. As the frost melts and ground thaws, the body of Russian soldiers strewn across the uh, landscape are becoming a problem. And then there's this report. Uh, Daniel Henninger brings this up from the Wall Street Journal. This week, on leaving Mariupol, uh, nearly 90% of it has been destroyed. The city, which had a population of 400,000, has uh, fewer than 100,000 people remaining. Almost everyone who's left has left. But concerning the buildings, the Greece, uh, Greek Council General, whose name is Manolis Androlakis, said, What I saw, I hope no one will see. Mariupol is now Guernica, Coventry, Aleppo, Grozny, Leningrad. He is bringing up cities, uh, infamous incidents in war where whole cities were wiped out, destroyed. Uh, two of them, the Aleppo and uh, Grozny, by Putin. The, the idea that this is happening now indicates some of the appalling failures 
of our recent string of presidents. Uh, certainly going back uh, even to President Clinton, uh, a failure to confront a, uh, a Russia that totally betrayed the bright hopes from the end of the Cold War when Boris Yeltsin was the president. Uh, Putin, for his 20 years as dictator, has never been confronted effectively. Maybe that's until now. Uh, Joe Biden spoke this morning to NATO in Brussels about the uh, new approaches that he means to use against uh, Vladimir Putin's cruelty, uh, illegal, and incredibly destructive policies in waging this evil war. Here is President Biden. We're also coordinating with the G7 and the European Union on food security as well as energy security. We're also announcing new sanctions of more than 400 individuals and entities aligned with, in alignment with the European Union. More than 300 members of the Duma, oligarchs, and Russian defense companies that fuel the Russian war machine. In addition, in addition to the 100,000 U.S. forces now stationed in Europe to defend NATO territory, NATO established, as you already know, four new battle groups in Romania, Hungary, Bulgaria, and Slovakia to reinforce the Eastern Front. Putin was banking on NATO being split. My early conversation with him in December and early January it was clear to me he didn't think we could sustain this cohesion. NATO has never, never been more united than it is today. Putin is getting exactly the opposite what he intended to have as a consequence of going into Ukraine. Okay, uh, this is all very good. Unfortunately, Biden bumbled and stumbled into uh, a, a totally unnecessary and foolish controversy. He uh, uh, basically was questioned by a reporter earlier today about the deterrence factor in sanctions. And he very foolishly and inaccurately uh, said, oh, no, sanctions were never meant to deter the war. Uh, here's President Biden's big mistake. It's clip 21. Sir, deterrence didn't work. What makes you think Vladimir Putin will alter course based on the action you've taken today? Let's get something straight. You remember, if you covered me from the very beginning, I did not say that, in fact, the sanctions would deter him. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never sanctions deter. The maintenance of sanctions, the maintenance of sanctions, the increasing the pain and the demonstration why I asked for this NATO meeting today is to be sure that after a month we will sustain what we're doing, not just next month, the following month, but for the remainder of this entire year. That's what will stop him. Okay. Uh... It's not really accurate, Mr. President. He he did, and, and there are many Biden officials who did wrongly predict that sanctions and the threat of sanctions would be enough to deter Putin from invading. Now, he may be right that the sanctions will end up having such a devastating effect that Putin will reconsider and reach some kind of peace agreement now. 
But it's worth going back and listening to some of the comments that the Biden officials made in past months before the war. Uh, clip 20. The purpose of the sanctions has always been and continues to be to continue deterrence. The purpose of the sanctions in the first instance is to try to deter Russia from going to war. The president believes that sanctions are intended to deter. They're meant to prevent and deter a large-scale invasion. We want them to have a deterrent effect. The sanctions are designed in the first instance to try to deter Russia from taking further aggression. As well as our efforts to uh, both try to deter Russia uh, through sanctions. If you pull the trigger on that deterrent, well, then it doesn't exist anymore as a deterrent. Okay, uh, well, they pulled the trigger on the deterrent. Uh, look, I think that it's worthwhile, Mr. President, please go back and look at what Senator Sass has to say. Losing slowly isn't winning. Winning is winning, and Zelensky needs to win by throwing Russian invaders back out of Ukraine. What happens with all these new weapons that uh, we apparently are paying for, and I think that's a good thing. I think they should be more free with the weapons. And, uh, for instance, including some of those 20 MiG fighters that they're supposed to be getting from Poland, or at least prospectively Poland has made that available. And if On the way to Ukraine, they have these weapons convoys, mostly coming out of Poland. What if the Russians decide to strike one of those convoys. I mean, really, in on Polish territory. Would that be considered an Article 5 of the NATO Charter kind of attack on a member state in NATO, which would uh, obligate, frankly, all NATO nations, all 30, including Bulgaria and Romania and Slovakia, the people, the... Uh, easternmost flank of NATO that are, are getting more troops stationed there, more NATO troops stationed there. Could it uh, be decided fairly quickly, an issue of uh, combat on the ground with NATO troops in so many different places and a significant number of them better trained, better prepared, better armed than the Russians? The fear, of course, is that if that happened, and uh, it went to a situation where Putin really was losing. If he's losing, he's using. Using what? Nuclear weapons, chemical weapons, unconventional weapons. And then what exactly? We'll continue the conversation. Coming up on The Medved Show. opportunity to uh, connect to everything that's going on in the world and to this radio show every day uh, on demand no advertising interruptions though I do love those ads but uh, no advertising interruptions if you listen as a medhead member you can download our daily show on demand no ads plus stream whatever you want hundreds of history programs you pay a little and that's 22 cents a day, and you learn a lot. Join the hundreds and hundreds, actually thousands of listeners who have become MedHeads uh, and with the MedHead Plus program. Uh, check it out at michaelmedved.com or medvedhistorystore.com. Uh, 
dot com. Thousands of Russians are traveling to Georgia uh, to flee their own government. Georgia, of course, was first on Putin's hit list. Uh, that was uh, actually Chechnya was the first on his hit list. Uh, but Georgia, a peaceful, western-leaning, uh, very cultured, uh, Tiflisi has all kinds of important cultural resources, the capital of Georgia, and and Putin invaded it. And John McCain tried to alert the world about the danger of allowing this to happen. Uh, meanwhile, there's a uh, Moscow Times reporting up to 170,000 Russian IT specialists could flee the country by the end of April. Industry figures warned Russian lawmakers Tuesday. Between 50,000 to 70,000 have already left Russia. The Russian Association for Electronic Communications estimates in what the industry body is calling the first wave of a mass exodus of creative, entrepreneurial, and prosperous Russians following Moscow's invasion of Ukraine and the country's mounting uh, international isolation. And there's more of that. There's, there's a, a unbelievable article. It's inspiring, frankly. More Russian journalists quit citing regret for false narrative of war and they are um, and they they give these people's names and they interview them and it's not just the very wonderful marina of sianakova who uh, is the lady who put up the sign and is facing potentially 15 years in prison she says she's willing to withstand that for the sake of truth these are heroic people and opposing their own evil government. I mean, one of the things that that could stop this war would be a basically more of these stories. There have been at least four high-profile resignations at Russia's state television channels, a, a critical pillar of Mr. Putin's dominance over the country's domestic politics. Marina Ovsianakova the Channel One staff member who interrupted a live news broadcast last week to unfurl an anti-war poster that said, they're lying to you right here, offered the most striking uh, act of protest. Others, like Dmitry Lykin, uh, have gone more quietly, providing a glimmer of the ferment inside Mr. Putin's system and a reminder of the immense power of television and shaping how most Russians see the war. They don't have talk radio in Russia. They don't uh, have uh, all kinds of competing newspapers. They have Pravda. Pravda means truth. And uh, it's, um, they, they used to have Pravda and Izvestia, and Izvestia means news, I believe. And they used to say that uh, is, uh, Pravda isn't true and Izvestia isn't news. Uh, this is an unbelievable thing. Our Defense Department could probably use some of those 170,000 Russian IT specialists and uh, employ them to, uh, to conduct cyber war in response to Putin. I mean, this is appalling. And Russia continues attacks on key Ukrainian cities. This is a new bulletin. 
marking a month of war, Ukrainian President Zelensky calls for global solidarity and effective and unrestricted aid from NATO. Russian troops appear to be setting up defensive positions. Really? Uh, 9 to 12 miles outside the capital of Kiev. In a meeting on Thursday, NATO leaders, including the United States' Joe Biden and UK's Boris Johnson, agreed to boost military presence in Eastern Europe, including new battle groups in Slovakia, Romania, Bulgaria, and Hungary. Biden pledged to continue to support Ukraine with supplies and armaments as the Russian invasion enters its second month. What is so amazing here, and oh, how I wish I could communicate as urgently as I know how to, to younger people this, which is when you hear that Slovakia, Romania, Bulgaria, and Hungary, all of which were part of the Warsaw Pact, they were part of the Russian Empire, and they now are lining up with NATO troops to oppose Russia? This is a miracle. It's a miracle that we live to see. Romania had uh, the Ceausescus, Nicolae Ceausescu, who was one of the most conscience-free, evil communist butchers. And in fact, the, most of the revolutions that deposed the old Soviet-era uh, corrupt, evil, vicious, murderous communist thugs, most of them were driven out peacefully. The Ceausescus were uh, killed. And they they were horrendous. That's Romania. And again, if you if you look at Romania and it's emerging out of the Austro-Hungarian Empire and the long history, who would have thought it would come to this? Where they would be shoulder to shoulder risking their young men because they're all now, all the NATO countries have agreed to pay up to that goal of spending 2% of their GDP on uh, defense, that defense involves efforts like this. And to have, uh, to have these countries, some of which have a very noble history, people don't know, the two leading countries in the whole world that uh, refuse to give up and murder Jews to cooperate with Hitler who actually worked to preserve their Jewish populations. Those two countries that did the best job of saving lives during World War II were Denmark, where King Christian of Denmark famously put on a yellow star to show his sympathy with that country's small Jewish population, and a much bigger Jewish population that was almost entirely saved by the king of Bulgaria. Yes, they had a king. And uh, Bulgaria now standing up to, uh, to Vladimir Putin. It's an amazing thing. Uh, Zelensky uh, actually marked the one-month anniversary of the invasion of his country. And he, uh, he called for some worldwide rallies to support Ukraine which I think is a good idea, and I hope that people answer his call. We will get to that. Uh, first, Biden was asked this about should Russia be removed from the G20. The former British Prime Minister, David Cameron, has a column today, and Wall Street Journal says, yes, absolutely. <laughs> who, who should sit down at the G20 with Russia?
Uh, so we will get to that and to Zelensky's call in anniversary of one month of war. That and more coming up on the Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. All across America. It's, it's dangerous. For- Michael Medved show, uh, the uh, former prime minister of Great Britain, conservative prime minister of Great Britain, and somebody who re-energized the Tory party, uh, and this is pre-Boris Johnson, of course, was David Cameron. And if you remember him, uh, I, I used to always get a kick out of finding David Cameron's speeches and playing them on air, because they're always well-delivered, always good. The guy was a brilliant guy and a principled conservative and pro-American, pro-Western leader for the United Kingdom. And he has a terrific column, which is actually very funny, under the heading, uh, Boycott the G20 if Putin is going. In other words, I don't want to go to that party if that stinker is going to be there. And he illustrates our approach to this question A welcome to Bali, Mr. President. Your dinner companion will be the mass murderer and war criminal Vladimir Putin. And Cameron writes, that will be the scene at the Group of 20 meeting in Indonesia this October unless we act now. I can hear the objections from Foggy Bottom, where the State Department is, and uh, Whitehall, which is where the... uh, foreign office is in the uh, British government. He says, well, we don't own the G20 and a forum for dialogue is important. Sure, says Prime Minister Cameron, but G20 meetings also confer status and respectability with what Mr. Putin has done and is doing in Ukraine every hour. That should be unthinkable. And then they uh, they write, you and uh, President Obama attended G20s in 2014 and 2015 with Putin, despite what he was doing in Ukraine and in Syria. He said, yes, we did. And the conversations with Putin were worse than pointless. His blatant lies to us about everything from the fate of the Malaysian aircraft to the presence of Russian troops in the Donbass. In any event, What we have seen in the past month is on a new level. The full-on invasion of an independent, sovereign democracy with brutality that ranks with World War II atrocities. And we threw Russia out of the group of eight in 2014 because of what Mr. Putin did then. And what he did then was to seize Crimea and to occupy another part of Ukraine, the Donbass. Now he's trying to gobble up the whole country. It looks increasingly like he will not succeed. And that's the point that uh, Volodymyr Zelensky made in marking the one-month anniversary of the invasion of his country and calling for rallies around the world. Uh, Here is what Zelensky told the rest of us. Listen. Clip two. The war of Russia is not only the is not war against Ukraine. Its meaning is much wider. Russia started the war against freedom as it is. 
This is only the beginning for Russia on the Ukrainian land. Russia is trying to defeat the freedom of all people in Europe, of all the people in the world. It tries to show that only crude and cruel force matters. It tries to show that people do not matter as well as everything else that make us people. That's the reason we all must stop Russia. The world must stop the war. I thank everyone who acts in support of Ukraine, in support of freedom, but the war continues. The acts of terror against peaceful people go on. One month already, that long. It breaks my heart, hearts of all Ukrainians and every free person on the planet. Okay, it's it's real. And the idea of holding these rallies, and, and that doesn't need to be in the Vladimir Putin style, uh, with uh, glitzy choirs singing and everything pre-produced and the people ordered to leave their jobs who worked for the state, which is many, many people in the corrupt Russian state. The, uh, the importance of Zelensky and his continued ability to get this across. Uh, I, I watched, and it's tough because you don't really understand most people, much of the uh, Russian and Ukrainian language that is used. There's a tweet that went out from uh, someone named Alexandrescu, who sounds like, by the sound of the name, a Romanian, I don't know. But it's a... Uh, a tweet that shows some handheld camera video of a confrontation that occurred within the last 48 hours in some part of occupied Ukraine. And there's a group of maybe a dozen, it's not more than that, it's a dozen at most, uh, Ukrainian guys who are standing up and confronting a group of maybe four, five uh, heavily armed Russian soldiers. They're holding, I think they're Kalashnikovs. They're, they're semi-automatic uh, weapons and they're formidable. And they come up and they're sort of taunting these Russian invaders, uh, not throwing anything, not harming them at all. One of the uh, Russian soldiers fires his gun into the air. It's scary. And you think that you're about to uh, to get a uh, uh, see a, a massacre, but that doesn't happen. Somebody begins singing the Ukrainian national anthem, and uh, and they start advancing toward the soldiers who are heavily armed, holding these guns at their heads, and they're singing, maybe not operatic quality, but they're singing with great feeling and hands over their hearts and unarmed and the soldiers back away and put down their guns and there's a uh, the, I think the sergeant or the non-commissioned officer who is in charge of this group you can see his utter confusion at how do you deal with this what is he supposed to do and uh, ultimately the singing the singing wins. Apparently no one was harmed in this confrontation. But with that kind of spirit, and, and again, the whole world 
coming forward, except for there's a, in the same New York Times where they have this article about more Russian journalists quit, citing regret for false narrative of the war. They uh, have a, a piece about some voices on the far right and uh, their voices that actually support the false narrative of the war right here in the United States. And uh, they uh, point out that after President Vladimir Putin of Russia claimed that action against Ukraine was taken in self-defense, there's a Fox News host and a conservative commentator, Candace Owens, repeated the assertion that Russia was going to war in honor of self-defense, to serve self-defense. When Mr. Putin insisted he was trying to denazify Ukraine, uh, a podcaster named Joe Altman, identified as far right, and Lara Logan, another right-wing commentator, mirrored the idea. The echoing went the other way, too. Some far-right American news sites, like Infowars, stoked a longtime unfounded Russian claim that the United States funded biological weapon labs in Ukraine. Russian officials seized on the chatter, with the Kremlin contending it had documentation of bioweapons programs that justified its special military operation in Ukraine. The uh, the idea that uh, here in the United States we have glorious freedom of speech, it is precious. And people who take these cockamamie ideas, take them seriously. Look, there are people here who publish books about why they think the earth is flat. And again, I get this kind of communication, this kind of email all the time. We could do hours, I'm sure, on the flat earth conspiracy theorists, and they have a whole elaborate explanation for why they think that this uh, world has been deceived since the, well, actually since the 1400s or, or earlier. Uh, okay, we don't have to talk about a flat earth. We don't have to talk about a peaceful Putin. But the idea that uh, Putin launched the war because he was afraid that Ukraine was about to attack, Ukraine was about to attack Russia, come on, guys. Can we drop that and actually confront the truth, find the truth, value the truth, and then uphold it and defend it in this greatest nation on God's green earth?